Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, 1st Canto, Chapter 9, The Passing Away of Vishnu. Tadra Dulu Bayo Nedu Jayanti is reserved for the day 
when the Lord appears on the earth. Vishwadev was unique in his activities and his passing away in the kingdom of God is also unique. Vishwadev was an exceptional personality. Not only a pure devotee, but very much a self-reliant devotee. A devotee who somehow or other chose the, uh, the transcendental position, even although he was in, in a condition of life which was mundane. Living in a royal court is not the ideal situation for a brahmachari. Generally, brahmacharis are nicely locked away in brahmacharis ashrams where they are protected from you know, the, the, the heavy aspect of sense gratification straight in their face. Um, but here, Bhishnadev was living in, in royal opulence, um, a very difficult condition for a brahmachari, certainly not recommended. But somehow the Bhishnadev did so um, because his vision was completely transcendental. And therefore, he was detached. He was not a brahmachari who wanted to avoid the trouble of material life, and therefore decided, mm -mm, I'm not going to get married. I don't want to pay all those bills. But rather, he was attached to Krishna. And because he had deep attachment to Krishna, therefore his renunciation was actually based on genuine detachment. And so, Bhishnadev uh, was able to take that glorious position of being, of, of pronouncing that he would remain a brahmachari for life. Also at that time, the demigods resounded drums. And also at that time, it rained flower petals from the sky. Um, but then Bhishmadev's life unfolded further. And as it unfolded further, we see that he was always, always the one to bring a spiritual influence amongst the, uh, the Kurus, and particularly the Pandavas, who were pious by nature, took advantage of that transcendental association. Um, then, uh, then we see um, how the battle of Kurukshetra comes about. And then it, uh, Bhishma Dev is just coming to the forefront. Um, somehow or other, we see that Bhishma Dev is on the side opposing the Pandavas. But that is only external. And really, if we look at it on a deeper level, an arrangement, simply an arrangement for him to express that vira ras, that, that mood of chivalry, um, that mood of being a warrior, so deeply ingrained in that satya spirit that even in his relationship with Krishna, he desired 
to have that warrior exchange. And where others offer flowers, Bismarck offered arrows. And, and when these arrows were showing wounds on Krishna's body, ah, then that was, was the perfection. And of course, it wasn't only Vishmadev who was relishing this exchange of chivalry. It was Krishna as well. Because Krishna also enjoys a good fight, as everybody does, even in domestic life. These things So, Krishna, Krishna, certainly has that element of relishing a good fight. And who could give a better fight than Vishwadev? Mm. Oh, yes. Uh, we remember that at one point Duryodhan was, uh, was challenging Vishwadev and said, actually, actually, you are not really fighting. This is, this is a great insult to Aksatriya. You're not really fighting because you're favoring the Pandavas. And therefore, you're avoiding to kill them. So Bishmadev, being challenged like that, said, all right, tomorrow I will kill the Pandavas. You see these five arrows? With these five arrows, I will kill the Pandavas. Then knowing well that uh, Krishna was doing all kinds of politics. Uh, oh yes, here's the Supreme Personality of God engaged in politics. Krishna then, he knew, would probably do something to get those arrows. Therefore, Duryodhana said, can I keep those arrows? Yes, Bhishmadev said, you keep them. Then, then Krishna came to Arjun. And Krishna said to Arjun, so, you are finished. You're dead. You're dead. I mean, tomorrow, Bhishmadev will kill you and there's nothing, nothing you can do. Nothing. But, but, there are these five arrows. And with these arrows, he will kill each of you. But, but, remember that once you saved Duryodhana's life, mm -hmm. yes. do you remember that Duryodhana offered a boon? Do you remember that you said you'd take it later? Go to Duryodhana now. Ask for that boon and take the five arrows. So Krishna came, uh, Arjun came on Krishna's order. And went before Duryodhana after the battle. So, as Ksatriya customly, nicely received, nicely seated. Oh, Arjun, what do you want? You want the kingdom without a fight? I'll give it to you if you if you so desire. Arjun said, No, no, that's okay. I want to fight. But I've come here to ask for that boon which you once promised me. Yes, whatever you want. Just give me those five arrows. Um, so then, uh, then Bishwadev 
became so upset and he said, I had promised that I would kill the Vaishnava, that I would kill the Pandavas, but Krishna made me break that promise. Now I will make him break his promise and his promise is not to fight. But he goes so far to protect his friend, Arjuna. Now, I will fight in such a way that even without that arrow, I will kill Arjuna. And I'll force Krishna to, take, to break his vow and take up a weapon to protect his friend. And so it happened. Uh, and finally, when Arjuna was in a totally desperate position, Bhishma, uh, uh, and Bishnadev said, like, was at the point of killing him. Then Krishna picked up a chariot wheel which is lying on the battlefield and stormed at Bishnadev. Then dropped his weapons. Now you kill Then Krishna didn't do it. Um, but so, in this exchange, um, in this exchange, Bishnadev um, experienced the greatest ecstasy. Then finally we see Bishmadev lying on the, the, that uh, bed of arrows, uh, again by Krishna's politics. Uh, Sikandi in front, who was Amma before a woman, did <coughs> want revenge on Bishmadev and done some yakya to become a man, but Bishmadev said no. Sikandi may have the body of a man, but still the mind of Amba, still the same mind. Therefore, still a woman, I will not fight. And so, with Sikandi in front, Bishwadev uh, not fighting, uh, Arjun could pierce the body of Bishwadev with many arrows. Then he's lying there on the bed of arrows, and then I don't know if you've ever had an injury, but if you had, usually you call the ambulance and that's it, hospital. Right? One arrow is enough for any of us. I can tell you that. One arrow, one bullet will do. But hundreds of them is really too intense. But somehow, Bishmandev lying on this bed of arrows was totally self-contained. He was not overwhelmed. Uh, he was able by willpower, by sheer willpower, not to identify with that excruciating pain and remain completely calm and detached. Uh, and it was Yudhisthira who was depressed because uh, he had fought out of the duty of Dharma and 640 million people were killed because of that. So Duryodhan, who was Dharmaraj personified, was having doubts, doubts about Dharma. Duryodhan, uh, who was known as Dharmaraj, he had doubts about Dharma. He was thinking this path of Dharma is just too much, look. 640 million people killed. So he came before Bishmadev. And Bishmadev to ask about the instructions of Arnashram Dharma. 
clarification. Uh, he had some doubt. And Vishnadev just pointed out, it's not your responsibility. It is simply, look at the bigger picture. There is the direction of the time. It has nothing to do with your particular plight. Uh, it has everything to do with the greater arrangement of the Supreme Lord, where simply the time is moving along according uh, particular, uh, in a particular direction, according to the need of the time. Uh, as, as time is progressing through different yugas to offer facilities for various living beings, to, uh, to, to make advancement. And as the yugas are getting more degraded, the living beings that certainly would not have, have a human form, now also get the human form. In, in such a yuga, none of us would have qualified for human existence. Right? Certainly, we would have all been animals. But in Kali Yuga, the threshold is lowered for the human form of life. And in Kali Yuga, even those who have an animalistic mentality may still get a human form. And here we are. Dripadapasu, two-legged animals, as it is described. Uh, the animalistic tendencies are strong in this age of Kali. But then, the reactions are also strong. And then, uh, one holds back. Uh, as an animal is controlled by a stick, yes, in this way, by the stick of suffering. Okay, yes, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll dedicate my life to the Supreme Lord. Um, so, in this way, um, no one has, has come simply because they were interested in the absolute truth. Um, most of us have come simply because we materially failed. One becomes defeated in material life, utterly defeated. Uh, we tried hard, very hard, defeated, didn't work. Even we tried so hard, then we lost hope. It's never going to Then, okay, then we go ahead. He'll talk to these Hare Krishnas, otherwise, why don't you talk to people like that? So, but Vishnadev, Dev was one of those extraordinary personalities, one of the great personalities, one of the Mahajans not affected by time, not a product of his time. It's very difficult to be different from your time. Um, everyone goes along with the spirit of the time, very much so. Even in the Hare Krishna movement, we see very interesting the social development of, uh, of our movement. And we see that the times have changed and suddenly everyone is also changed. Everyone thinks according to the spirit of the time, the zeitgeist, 
as they call it. Um, previously, um, the mission, Srila uh, Prabhupada emphasized the mission so much. Everyone sacrificed everyone, everything for the mission. And then we have to shift towards the individual. Uh, and now, that's, that's a given. You know, I mean, now, what about our own, uh, our own personality, our own psychophysical nature? I mean, that has to be provided for, obviously. Is it, that wasn't so obvious in, uh, in the 70s. That wasn't so obvious, psychophysical nature. What you got to do with that? Yeah. What's that got to do with it? It's about devotional service, what Krishna needs, right? what Krishna's requirement. And if somehow or other you're here, and that means it's your duty. And you can't go, what about my psychophysical nature? That was Arjun. He was all getting mental. But Krishna told him, no, fight. It's your duty. Yeah. So interesting. Times change. Very change. Change. Oh. Times change. And we are not necessarily going to idealize one time over another. No. Uh, each time each time has its advantages. If we look at an earlier ISKCON, then there was a lot of peer pressure. Uh, there was a lot of peer pressure. And virtually speaking, that peer pressure contained people from like stepping over the line. If you step one step over the line, it's like, immediate. Immediate. It's like no question. Now you know, like you can go ten miles over the line and still nobody, nobody even you know, looks at it. And so now you know we have we have beards, mustaches. We have I don't know what we have. Right? We have we have piercings. We have all kinds of stuff, Harry Paul. And you know. Ladies, I mean, they can dress in, uh, in, in uh, dress to kill, and you know, <laughs> and that was really not allowed. Right? It was like if some lady was on Sankirtan and was had to wear garment clothes, they would cover themselves in chadars and like you know, like, like so that no one would catch a glimpse. Uh, different cultural setting. And I'm not here to. To, to, to put one cultural setting over the other. But isn't it amazing how much the Hare Krishna movement has changed? Sometimes there are people that left the Hare Krishna movement frustrated and they are expressing, uh, you know, in, some, in writing um, about the wrongs in the Hare Krishna movement that should be rectified. And then when I read it, I go, oh, but that was yesterday. What you're talking about, that's no longer there. That has changed completely. There's a new ISKCON now. It's, it's different again. We change very quickly, very fast. Um, having, seeing all that social development, we, uh, are, and, and seeing all those changes, um, 
we may be influenced by our time. Because the hurt syndrome is very strong. Everybody look at your neighbor. Have a good look. Yeah. You see your neighbor? I mean, have a good look. You can be different from your neighbor, but not too different, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, you know. Conform, please. Yeah. I mean, do as your neighbor does. <laughs> so, um, the hurt syndrome is very strong in living beings. There are many psychological tests about conforming. They have this thing, a test, where there's an awaiting room of a doctor. Um, suddenly there's a buzz, you know. And one man stands up. So other people are looking. And then someone else also stands up. So 10 minutes later, there's again the bus. The two people that stood up before, they stand up again. Others look. And a third person also joins in. And after a while, well, there's a bus and the whole waiting room stands up at the bus. Right? Nobody knows why, but they do it. They have these, these kind of tests. They're very interesting test, you know, like about conforming, conforming. Yeah. So, a Mahajan is a personality who is, is not conforming to the, to the mundane influence of his time, and is completely beyond it, and who, who only conforms himself to the desire of the Supreme Lord and the pure devotee. That is a, is a great personality. Uh, we see such personalities. See Bali Maharaj. You know, everyone, his guru tells him, don't give these three steps of land. You get in big trouble. Don't do it. Uh, others, everyone is looking. And the king is not going to give everything away. I mean, all the, all the, all the demons, all the titans are in shock. And the king, sitting on the throne, in front of everybody, is giving everything away. Bali Maharaj is a Mahajan. He was ready to act completely different simply for the favor of the Supreme Lord. It is this spirit right, to, to be a strong individual and to make a strong individual commitment to Bhagavatam. Not to reading the Bhagavatam, of course reading the Bhagavatam, but to living the Bhagavatam, to living by the Bhagavatam. Who's going to do it? There are so many practical reasons. No, no, we're living in 2019. Uh, yes, 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 modern times. Uh, Bhagavatam, you know, and that's nice, very nice. But is, is, it, is it still completely relevant? Uh, is it really relevant in the modern world? I mean, really, is it so relevant? To what extent is it relevant? Really? Can you really live by the Bible time? I mean, really? I mean, no divorce. You know, is it realistic? I mean, really? I mean, in London? I mean, not really. Think about it. 
can he do it? It's like, you know, Bishmadev, living by principles. I mean, being a brahmachari, never falls down in London. <laughs> can it be done? Is it even? Is it possible? All these things, how relevant is all this? But to make it relevant, that is our business. It's not that we read this Bhagavatam and think, wow, I'm reading this and like, you know, is this relevant? No. I mean, ladies less intelligent, come on, you know. I mean, wait a minute. I mean, you know. Can we live with all this in this day and age? Are we going to live with it? Or are we going to just select? I mean, the Bhagavatam is a beautiful tray with like, you know, different preparations on it. And I like the sweet ones and, you know, not the bitter ones and so on. And I'll select. I'll take what I like. My favorite passages from the Bhagavatam. Or am I going to take the whole thing, everything? And when it's, and try to understand how, try to understand deeply how it is, is, is true. What does it mean, less intelligent? Um, women fly planes, right? I mean, you gotta be pretty smart to do that. Women are professors, women are like uh, temple presidents, GDCs, women are all kinds of things. And uh, who knows what more is to come. Fine by me. But maybe, maybe, maybe it means more prone to the emotions, maybe more prone to sometimes forget to act according to, to Shastra because the emotions might get in the way. Maybe that would, maybe it's not about square blocks in round holes and all these things. Um, maybe it is about, about that. So understand, try and understand the Bhagavatam, how it is true, how it is true. And remain faithful to it, accept it. That's Sila Prabhupada. Sila Prabhupada is a shocking personality because he just goes, they didn't go to the moon. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we saw it, right? You saw it? On TV. On TV. But we saw it, right? We, were, we saw it. And it was a historic moment. You know? I mean, not everyone saw it, but we saw it on TV. And it was big. You know, you know that like, as the space shuttle was, go was going into outer space, it was moving around from the airspace of one country into another. And you know, the whole thing was uniting the world. I mean, it was a beautiful moment because even Russia and America were putting the Cold War aside. We were in tears, practically speaking, you know, because everyone was cooperating, right, to somehow or other ground control, you know, Uncle ground control, Uncle Tom in the tin can, ground control, right, and yes, Everyone made sure that the tin can was on course and it reached the moon. It was a glorious moment. Oh my God. You think about it. 
It was emotional. People were crying. Yeah. Humanity, for once, humanity united. And it was great effort. In great effort. One planet, planet Earth, all of us together. Now, a human being on the moon. Wow. Isn't it amazing? And Prophet says, not true. <laughs> True, but on what basis? <laughs> on what basis? You know, so no, bottom of the top, bottom of the top. I mean, like, you know, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, no, it's not possible because the moon is further away than the sun. The moon further away than the sun. I mean, science, science, come on, art, science, facts, measurements, you know. I mean, radio telescopes, right? <laughs> radio waves bouncing back, speed, measurements, measurements. You know, real measurements. Right? Hard, facts, Hubble, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you can argue with Hubble. Brother didn't care about Hubble. <laughs> Not at all, you know. Simply cared about bottom of the top. Are we ready to set aside all this false authority and just and write it off and just rely on the Bhagavatam. Are you sure? You know. Are you ready for that? Um, well, um, to, to an extent, hopefully. So this this faithfulness, that is the symptom of a Maharaja. This faithfulness in in the message of the Supreme Lord. And that is what Bishnadev represents. And therefore Bishnadev was greater than the demigods. It's not that the demigods were just showering flowers as superior personalities. Shower, shower, flower, flower. Upon that Bishnadev is such a nice devotee. The demigods are impressed. No, the demigods realized he's, he's greater than us. And not only were they respecting him, but showering flowers on Vishnadev meant that they were getting the benefit. Uh, just as like when you are criticizing someone, you degrade yourself. And when you glorify someone, you elevate yourself. And when you glorify someone greater than yourself, you become greater as well. So the demigods were very eager. Oh yes. They were very eager to glorify Vishnadev. Uh, in Mayapur, um, we have the Samadhi, or the Pushpa Samadhi of Srila Prabhupada. And somehow or other, um, it was my service for uh, almost six years to uh, supervise the construction of that building. So I worked with uh, Suravi Swami, who was the designer. And he gave his concept. And what he did in the design was on the ground floor, he wanted panels, art panels, which are there, of pastimes of the Bhagavatam representing the nine processes of devotional service. Because he wanted to establish the foundation of, uh, of Prabhupada's life and the nine processes of devotional service. And then Prabhupada's there in his chamber, 
And then on the dome, there's like a mosaic of some of the major achievements of Siddhartha, some of the main things he did. And then above that, there are the demigods showering flowers. Right? And uh, well, I'd say, but, but you know, can he do that? Because did the demigods shower flowers? Did they? Huh? Is there a story? You know, and then suddenly it showered flowers from the sky. Bhishma Dev, there is a, you know, it's recorded in the Bhagavatam. But how can Surabhi Swami speculate and create this whole thing of the demigods showering flowers when there is no testimony to that fact? Hmm? What do you think about that? Hmm? Is that bona fide? We could have a straw vote if you want. <laughs> so, but rather than a straw vote, with a straw in the mouth, I prostrate myself before Surabhi Swami for his vision, for his transcendental insight, for deeply contemplating and deeply understanding. Here is the pure devotee. All the demigods are eager to shower flowers. And if they didn't do it in the physical sense, let's give them the opportunity to do it on the inside of the dome. And the demigods are very happy. Oh, yes, yes. Finally, we can shower flowers on Siddhartha because by that showering of flowers, uh, we are ourselves becoming elevated. We become glorious. Um, by worshipping Vishwadev, we become glorious. This particular chapter is a very is a wonderful chapter in the Bhagavatam. Of course, every chapter in the Bhagavatam is wonderful, but still, Bhishmadev stands out as such an amazing personality. And even Yudhisthira, another amazing personality. And there is Krishna, and we see all this interaction, and we see the glories of Bhishmadev. Therefore, the passing of Bhishmadev is something where we also can only stand in amazement. How could he be so determined? How could he be so unwavering? How is it possible that the human being, a human being who, who is going through so many hardships, um, everyone goes through so many hardships in this human form of life. Uh, the demigods were looking down upon the human form of life they consider it a pathetic form of existence. Um, we may think of ourselves as quite something. We are human, there Yes, here are all these animal creatures. And we are the Lord and Master of all of them. Oh, yes. We are the supreme species on the planet. Us. Yeah, human. And, and then he got looked 
down among us like, my God, look at these pathetic little creatures. Right? First of all, their lives are so short. So short. That's why this planet is called Brichy Loka, planet of death. They hardly live. They hardly live. Really. There's practically no life. And just like these insects that have to kind of have a whole life in one night. And take birth, have offspring, and grow old, and die all in one night. And in the morning there's a pile of the mind there all dead. In the same way the demigods look at us, look at these creatures. So in their pathetic bodies, ugly and smelly ones, and so on. And they live so short. So short. And while they live, they're always afflicted, always afflicted by suffering. Then what a pathetic form of existence it is. But here is Bishmadev. In the middle of this pathetic human form of existence, he becomes more exalted than, than the greatest demigod. Because he is completely selfless. And he is completely, completely dedicated to the Supreme Lord. He has no other agenda than to fulfill, to fulfill the desire of the Lord. <coughs> Therefore, for us, it's not hard to draw the parallel between Vishnadev and Srila Prabhupada, who also, at the end, on his deathbed, <coughs> was the inspiration. Many disciples came, you know, and thinking, what do we do now? Prabhupada is dying. What are we going to say? What do you say? Someone is dying. Oh, it's not so bad. What do you say to someone? Oh, well, uh, on the deathbed. Well, you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, sure you'll be all right. You'll be all right in your grave, you know. You'll be dead God. And what do you say to someone who is really dying? What do you say? Uh, goodbye. Uh, it's hard to find words. And not only that, the disciples were coming to Prabhupada and they were thinking, what are we, what are we going to do without you? And it was Prabhupada who was comforting them. <laughs> Prabhupada was comforting them as they came. They said, no, it will be okay, don't worry. You know, I'll be still here money. You'll be all right. You can still carry on. There's still an optional service. Don't get so depressed. Oh, yeah. It's now the, the end of the world. So just like this today was Calming down Yudhisthira Maharaj, Prabhupada also calmed down his disciples who were overwhelmed by his imminent departure. Um, and as Bishwadev left, um, totally focused on Krishna, um, as Bishwadev went back to Godhead, of course Prabhupada was also completely focused on Krishna and also went back to Godhead. And as Bishmadev was always focused on the Supreme Lord throughout his life, in the same way Prabhupada also was. Like if he glorifies the Prabhupada for going back to Godhead, that's not a glorification. Because Prabhupada never left Godhead. So it was a question of going back to Godhead. He was always there. So you cannot say, he's so glorious that at the end of his life he went back to Godhead. That's minimizing him. He was always there always with Godhead, and so was Bhishma Dev. Um, so, in 
it is it is very natural to look um, at the parallel between Bhishma Dev and Srila Prabhupada. And both um, both left in an equally glorious way, totally selfless. Prabhupada still translating, still showing his service went on. He didn't stop. He just his mission of somehow or other showering as much mercy as possible on the world didn't stop. Never stopped. I'm not even sure that it stopped now. Uh, Prabhupada may well be in another universe doing it again. Right. Is he then not in the spiritual world? Maybe he's in the spiritual world also at the same time. Right. Because it's not when the great personalities from the spiritual world uh, that are coming down to the material world that they always necessarily leave. It's not that when Krishna is in the material world and Nanda and Yasoda are here in the material world that there's a note on the fridge that says, went to the material world, we'll be right back. <laughs> it's not like that. It's going on there and it's going on here. So, I don't know. All I can say it's, it's just hard to imagine that Prabhupada stopped, right? Because if I can think of the possibility that you can uh, maybe deliver another universe, then Prabhupada could think of it. And if Prabhupada could think of any possibility, he is the one who left no stone unturned. He is the one who let no opportunity go, go by. So it's hard to believe that he let that opportunity go by. That doesn't fit his character. Prabhupada's, so maybe Prabhupada is still delivering another universe. Maybe Prabhupada just keeps on doing it again and again. Who is he? How great and glorious is he? Maybe we just see the tip of the iceberg and we're glorifying Prabhupada for that tip. You know, for the, he opened so many temples, he translated so many books. He made so many devotees, yes. Oh, he's so glorious. We see only the tip of the iceberg. Most of the iceberg is under the water, under the surface. We cannot even see his glories. How can we understand? Uh, in the same way, all that we can do is turn again and again to Srimad Bhagavatam and try Mahaji Nilakatasapanta, try and follow in the footsteps. And of course we cannot. And then we pray to these personalities. We pray to Bhishma Dev. Oh, somehow or other, please give me the strength to follow in your footsteps. You know, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's the uh, section where Lord Chaitanya instructs Sanatana Goswami. And Sanatana Goswami receives all the instructions of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and then at the end, at the end, he asks for one benediction. And he asks for the benediction to Lord Chaitanya, please let all these instructions be manifest in me. And that's brilliant, because it's one thing hearing, getting all the knowledge. It's one thing reading the Bhagavatam. It's one thing to quote the slok. Right? Oh yes, how many slokas do you know? Ah, so many. Oh, many. Okay, good. Uh, quote the slok does. But, you know, it's one thing 
to quote this slok, but can we make it our own? Can we make one sloka our own? If we can, that may be enough. Uh, so, in this way, Sanatana Goswami prayed, please let all these instructions manifest in my heart. So we're praying to Dishmadev and to Shilaprabha. Please let this Bhagavatam manifest in our heart. And then, um, in that way, Mahaja Yelinkata Sapanta, in that way, by their mercy, can we follow in the footsteps of these great personalities. I'll end now. Any comments, any questions? Thank you very much, Maharaj. I, I can see there are quite a few questions, but I wanted to ask you, because you were mentioning how Islam has changed, and um, there are devotees that feel that as Islam changes, the preaching also has to somehow or other change along with it, according to time, place, and circumstance. And then we get into this understanding what Prabhupada was talking to Shudhikirti about when he asked him, how do we know the distinction between details that can change the basic principles that cannot, because there are devotees that will criticize what is seen as bridge preaching as well. Prabhupada never did this. This was not part of the old Iskand. Iskand has changed now in such a way that that Prabhupada would not approve of certain things. So how Prabhupada was the acharya? What he said was there, but now in the absence of Prabhupada. There's many opinions. We don't have a singular voice to know what, what is the uh, criteria for details that can change from the basic principles that can happen. Um, so, if you just elaborate a little bit or reflect on that, how do you uh, deal with uh, these kinds of issues or complaints? Mm. Okay, I'll try and keep it short and pointed. Um, Bridge preaching is is, 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 a, is a challenge. It is a challenge to bring spiritual knowledge to materialistic people, to make it relevant for them so that they can connect to it and at the same time keep, maintain one's spiritual integrity. That is the challenge. So the challenge is relevance to conditioned souls, and keeping spiritual integrity. Um, we see that Srila Bhakti Siddhanta made many adjustments, right, did many things that were unorthodox uh, and that were considered bridge preaching in his time. He was the Acharya. He was an Acharya, but he did, and he kept it. Right? He kept the relevance. He, he, he kept the integrity. So he was relevant to his time, but he kept the integrity. So we also see uh, Prabodh Ananda. We see him using flattery. Oh, sir, you are so intelligent. You are so wonderful, so learned. This, that. Now, uh, oh, yes, yes, okay, I'm very nice. Yes, 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 yes. Ah, you're such a nice man. Yes, sir. Please not forget all this and take Krishna consciousness. So we see 
rich reaching or strategic approach to be relevant to a conditioned soul, also in our charges. So we cannot. I think the, the essence of it all is to keep the integrity. That is the key. That is really the, the, the very key. I mean, I don't mind if someone presents yoga. Prabhupada didn't mind. In Hong Kong, he said, yes, you can do yoga classes. Right? But where is the bhakti coming in? You know? I mean, how long does it take before we're going to speak about bhakti? Sooner or later, we have to present it as it is. Chanting Hare Krishna, four regular principles, uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, you name it, right? Sooner or later, we have to give this knowledge. Whether we dress up in all kinds of costumes or not, sooner or later, we have to give the substance. So if, if bridge preaching means we're losing the substance, then it's a problem. If we keep the substance, then it can be, it can be used, right? However, we should also know that there is a traditional form. And the traditional form is, is valuable. We ourselves don't even know the traditional form. Right? We grew up in modernity right? and Krishna consciousness in modernity. We grew up using uh, all kinds of, using machines and all kinds of things in the service of Krishna. We don't even know how to live a traditional Vaishnava life, the way it was lived by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu 500 years ago and his associates. We don't know. Srila uh, Bhakti Siddhanta took it from the Christian tradition to modernity. Yeah. Maybe for us sometimes it's good to go back over the bridge and see what's there on the other side and be a little traditional. I'm a sannyasi. Maybe it's good for me to go backing from door to door for my food. Maybe I'll develop some more dependence on the Supreme Lord instead of like, uh, oh, Maharaj, your, your diet sheet is, is updated or, you know, uh, we are so sorry we couldn't get all the ingredients, but we really, I mean, we'll improve next time. Oh, God, so <sighs> Things I have to tolerate. <sighs> just traveling around the world. Sometimes I think I'm a Parigrajika Acharya, but maybe I'm just a Kutichuk. You know, the first stage of Sanyas, having many who stays in a, in a little hut. Maybe I have many huts all over the world. I go from hut to hut. Maybe I'm not such a very tragic child after all. <coughs> anyway, I, I cannot go on on the topic. Uh, I give a whole seminar on it now. I, I hope it, it sort of balances up. Relevance and integrity are the key things. And if the integrity is lost, then we lose everything. I want to take some of the other questions. I, I, I appreciate your answer. I sometimes tell the bodies, make sure it's a Golden Gate bridge for going out of time. Yeah. Because to make sure you have that connection, otherwise it goes nowhere. Yeah, yeah, the integrity. We have to, to stay connected to the, to the substance. Who else? Yes. This speaks, speaks. We think with an understanding, Srimad Bhagavatam. Give the thing to him. We, we, Speak. 
we try to understand this point of Shimabagavatam that they are difficult for us. Uh, it could be a way that both are right, like scientists and Bhagavatam is right. Like okay, we try to understand things that are difficult. In Bhagavatam, apparently contradictory, and the examples is could it be that both Bhagavatam and scientists are right? On some points, yes, why not? Uh, that can still be, be uh, worked out, and our devotee scientists can try and establish what we have in common and what differences we have, and so on. There will be some things we have in common with science, and there will be some things that we uh, that where we will differ, inevitably so. We didn't go to the moon, so we beg to differ. So we're not going to all be harmonious and hold hands, etc. No, sometimes, as Prabhupada said, we're just going to kick them on the face. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it so abruptly, but he said it like that. And Lord Nichananda did it. So that's our tradition. That sometimes we've got to be blunt and just disagree. Could be the moon referred to other planets? Or no, the moon is the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Next topic. <laughs> yes, you have the mind. And uh, I think it's in the same theme of the questions. Um, you, you were talking about um, accepting the whole thing back in time and ready to dismiss other authority, science and all this. How do you not be fanatic or accused of fanaticism? We can be, it's better we become accused of fanaticism in following Srila Prabhupada than, than that we become wishy-washy. Yeah? We become so liberal and so wishy-washy that you know we take a little bit from here a little bit from there and everywhere but the art is to accept Prabhupada but at the same time to also say some things I don't fully understand and that's where you're not fanatic when you can say I don't fully understand then you're not fanatic but if you just take it and you don't fully understand and you try and ram it down everyone's throat then you become fanatic and then you're not representing Prabhupada at all. Because Prabhupada is not fanatic. Next. Hi, Krishna We sometimes see when we're distributing books that people say, why should we trust your teachings? Why should we take them as an authority? Right. And what is the best way to answer that? Well, Prabhupada was, was recognizing that point, that there are many people who are not accepting the Vedic authority. And in that case, we have to resort to logic. So Prabhupada is very logical. He was logically establishing Krishna consciousness. Many logical arguments. Why? This is true. It wasn't just claiming, oh, this is Veda, you accept Vedic authority. No. Logic. So you have to practice logical arguments to support our uh, to support our philosophical views, and and Sri Prabhupada gave that we can uh, we can uh, research that. So then, when we come to things like no moon landing, what will we say? Well, Logically. you know, 
is like <clears throat> sometimes you you may use some of the first some of the mundane arguments that there are, there's a lot of information there's a lot of people in the world who are actually questioning the moon landing and there are certain things because all we saw was a movie all we saw was something on TV uh, that's all we have a little clip right and something in the movie is wrong some shadows are on the wrong side and stuff like this so there are books about that you can use some of these arguments why not huh? when we're talking about being a vegetarian we can speak about that the uh, the 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 length of the intestines of the human beings 12 times the body of a meat-eating animal only seven times of the body the flesh that rots goes through quick and in our systems it will rot longer and therefore it's not surprising that a lot of people are getting a lot of meat-eaters are getting colon cancer and how about that hmm. so therefore think about it you know because it's an epidemic it's rampant and you might be next so becoming a vegetarian Maybe actually beneficial for you. How about the higher taste? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, at least save your neck. You know, no. These argue, there are arguments, logical arguments, which we can use. And Prabhupada did. Next. Maharaj, how do we um, identify how much time to spend on a point when we're reading to go that deep and research? versus just reading to kind of just try and absorb more information and then see which bit sticks out. I think that um, there is a time to read the Bhagavatam and there's a time to study the Bhagavatam. And when we read the Bhagavatam, we're meant to just read it, read it through, right? And not like go and look things up here and look things up and let me look this up in the Mahabharata, about Bhishma Day, let me check this in the in, in the Puranic Encyclopedia, and uh, let me then have a little look at what do the Acharyas say in the commentaries, and oh, by the way, uh, let me look in that volume of all the lectures that Prabhupada gave on this verse and see if there's anything. Um, then I have a, 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 a folio, the database, and then I have an Acharya folio where I can look what all the Acharyas actually said on this. Plus, I happen to have my library of so many reference books and actually uh, like this you'll never get through the Bhagavatam even when you're 99 you'll still be uh, you know in the first canto okay? so therefore we have to read it and first get the idea then later we can we can go zoom lens but the first thing is we have to make time for the Bhagavatam we have to make time for it to even read it we have to make time to study it, we have to really make time. But it is possible to read the whole Bhagavatam a couple of times and to study it in depth. It is very possible and recommended. We should absorb it so that the Bhagavatam becomes like practically the way we look at the world. We look through the Bhagavatam. So, but at first, let's just read through so we can an idea of, of the past. Cannot get lost in all the details. Anyone? Good. Thank you. And thank you so much. And, uh,
over your uh, greasy relish. 